Final words the journalist wrote. Iniquity not seen in this age or several since, he scrawled, and then with a great gesture of finality, laid down his pen, blotted the paper, and leaned back in his chair to read it. He held the document very close to his face, and several times just pulled it back in time to avoid covering it with his wet cough. Damn draft, he said, looking about disagreeably. Martha, is that you? There was no reply to his question, however, and he went back to reading, occasionally pausing to sip the hot negus that had gone lukewarm as he worked. Nearing the end of the sheet, he began a short addendum. It was as he wrote this that he heard a footstep behind him, and before he could turn, he felt a sharp, rending pierce in the back of his neck. Futilely, he clutched his throat. In an instant, he had fallen to the floor. Behind him, a man moved quickly to look through the papers in the apartment, leaving nothing out of its place, but nothing unchecked. At last he gently plucked from the still warm hand the broad sheet of paper Carruthers had been writing on. In an aristocratic voice, the murderer said without pity in his voice, "'Stupid sot! I hope you burn in hell!' He put the paper back, and fled to the open window, the one from whence the draught that had irritated Carruthers in the final moments of his life had come. The man unrolled a rope ladder and climbed down quickly. The apartment was only on the second floor. After he was gone, Martha came in, ignoring the body and the long knife protruding from its back, and went to the window, took the rope ladder back up, and after raking the coals again, began the slow process of burning it, as downstairs her children slept. At the same time, about a mile across London, Simon Pierce was sitting at his desk in an austere-looking home office that seemed deliberately antithetical to the extravagant gold and mahogany of the rooms of Winston Carruthers. There were plain oak walls, ringed with a series of severe family portraits, and a very quiet sort of fire burning in front of two empty armchairs. Technically, Pierce was married, but he rarely saw his wife above once a fortnight. She was a fat woman of limitless vanity, who rather than minimizing her bulk by dressing plainly, seemed more by the day to resemble a very loud floral-patterned sofa. Most of her evenings were spent at her father's house in Lambourne, which, in simple honesty, she wished she had never left to make the obscure, middle-aged marriage that was all her family's long lineage had been able to buy her. Pierce, on the other hand, often slept on the long cot in his office at the Daily News. There, unlike in his own home, he was a man of importance, the international editor and a frequent columnist on the editorial page. The couple had a daughter neither much cared for. At eighteen she had married and fled to India. They received twelve punctual and polite letters a year from her. The most recent had wished them a happy Christmas, and given Pierce an unexpected and genuine pang for her. The softness of age, he figured. Simon Pierce was not far from his fifty-fifth birthday. In looks— he was tall, thin, and grey, with bifocals that forced him at all times to lean slightly forward. 
These made him particularly unpleasant to talk to at parties, where one felt inspected and analysed at every conversational turn. The excellent free education at his school in Norfolk had paved his way to Oxford, and from there he went straight to London, full of ambition and a belief in hard work that had quickly been borne out by his career's trajectory. The Daily News was a liberal, if not radical, paper, in line with the views of its founder, Charles Dickens. Pierce had moulded himself to the paper's beliefs, rather than the other way around. He was a powerful man now. Unlike Carruthers, he was not writing on that Christmas evening, but reading. The Bible was in his hands. Pierce was, unusually, a Roman Catholic. Even on Christmas he would probably have preferred the office to his home, but he had instead endured a long supper with his wife, who was full of her father's stories. After she had gone to bed, he had come into his study restless. He took no wine.